Welcome to another edition of Talking Foosball Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I am your host, Matt Herman, and this week uh, we're just trying to kind of squeeze into the middle seat here in the Bundesliga, a league so tightly packed at the moment that just about every team feels like they're just a couple of games away from Europe. This week I'm joined again by Matthew Marshall, who has had, you might say, a busy week writing for get German football news and other places. It seems, tell me about your, uh, your docket this week. Yeah, pretty hectic, mate. I um, managed to get a ticket for that Bayern München game against Benfica, which was pretty cool. They crushed them 5-2. Lewandowski scored a hat-trick, and then I came all the way back up to Dortmund. Of course, Matt Sommel's getting sent off there and a 3-1 defeat. And then uh, I went to Leverkusen, Matt, to see um, them crush Real Betis 4-0. That was interesting with Diaby and Wirtz just on fire. And uh, today I was up at Köln, mate, to see uh, that game 2-2 against Union Berlin. So, yeah, done a few Ks, seen some cool, cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm ultra jealous sitting here in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, man. We will be right back, of course, with plenty of discussion. Matt's got a lot of thoughts about uh, match day 11 in the Bundesliga. But while I have you here, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, you know, wherever you get your pods, leave us a rating, tell your friends and all that. If you're really feeling like a difference maker, become a supporter on Patreon. We got lots of Bundesliga history podcasts and uh, some single club content. It is a big help in keeping us afloat. All right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball Direct, the part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. This was match day 11, and, you know, I think this was actually a pretty high-quality slate, punctuated, you know, by a string of big games, not least at the top of the table. We had one, Bayern versus Freiburg, that was a literal one-versus-three affair. We had another game, RB Leipzig against Borussia Dortmund, uh, that pitted the current second-place team against the team who ended in second last season. Matt, I, I know you saw both of these you know, big teams, Bayern and Dortmund, this week. However, not in the Bundesliga. But we might as well crack on with this podcast with the first of those two, with Bayern. They were, you know— Looking at a pretty stern opponent in Freiburg, the, the Black Forest Club had, had come into the game as the Bundesliga's last remaining team without a loss. And, you know, if there was ever a club that you want to, <laughs> to help you end that run of, uh, you know, games without a loss, it is, it is the Rekordmeister. I would actually say Freiburg began the game well. They were very lively. They were doing a lot of running. They were sort of playing very hectically and, 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 you know, bothering Bayern. They actually ended the game pretty well with an injury time goal, but, you know, everything in between, I got to say, was pretty lopsided in the Bavarians' favor. A 2-1 win for Bayern, Leon Goretzka and Robert Lewandowski, the goal scorers. You know, if this wasn't the kind of five-goal outburst that we've been seeing a lot of from Bayern lately, this was a pretty dominant performance nonetheless, yeah? Yeah, you kind of come to expect it, especially at home. Of course, we have to mention that amazing game in the, in the Pokal where they lost 5-0 in, uh, in Mönchengladbach. But as you said, they're scoring four or five goals every game on, on average. And yeah, they, they pumped five past Union and then five against uh, Benfica. Only 2-1 here, but it seemed pretty comfortable, really. As you said, Freiburg created some pretty good chances, but you know, Bayern are just going to have so much of the ball 
and so many uh, chances and they've just got such a lethal attack that more than not, they'll put it away. Good to see Goretzka back in the team here. He scored that goal and was really all over the place doing well. Uh, Muller back in the starting side here. He had a bit of a rest in the Champions League. But yeah, they don't have too many injuries and um, they're just crushing it at the moment. Yeah, yeah, you you saw them crush it earlier this week. I guess it was Tuesday in the uh, the Champions League, and you know after that five two win over Benfica, they are through to the knockout stages. How do you reckon that might work out for them in terms of? I mean, I, I know Bayern like to win their group in in the Champions League to make sure that they have you know a better chance at a better draw going down the line. They you know obviously have tons of pride as well, but. Might there be a chance for them to sort of uh, try a few things in the Champions League with those two remaining games and, you know, save a little bit? Yeah, for sure. I think he won't really take too many risks with, with certain players. And as I said, he gave Muller a bit of a rest here. I think that was also just to give the Sané, Coman, Gnabry trio a bit of a test, you know. So just trying different things out. And of course, you've got guys like uh, Tolisso. Nianzu actually started a game against Benfica, the centre-back. So you'll see guys like Musiala. We've got some game time and um, who knows, even some of those fringe fullbacks like Omar Richards, Stanisic. What's the next one they've got? It's at uh, Dinamo Kiev, then the home game against Barcelona. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the, the matches are going to come thick and fast. But if you look around at Dinamo Kiev, they've got easy games in the Bundesliga. I guess that one before Barca, they've got the big game at Borussia Dortmund. But, yeah, not that many injuries. So it just gives Nagelsmann a good chance to give some of these guys a bit of game time. Yeah, what did you see from them on Tuesday? I mean, uh, you, you mentioned at the top of the pod you saw a, a hat trick from Robert Lewandowski. That's always a bit of a treat, I guess. Anything you notice from the team? I mean, we sing the praises of Lewandowski all the time. He deserves it. I, you know, hopefully he'll he'll maybe get himself a an international individual award in as much as those things count. Were there other players whose performances on Tuesday stood out for you? Well, Coman just destroyed it. Matt, I mean, he's had some injury issues, but he just absolutely annihilated Alex Grimaldo, Benfica's left back. He just carved him up time and time again, and it was just a matter of time before something happened down that side. And, of course, he uh, he delivered the cross for the first goal. So, yeah, Coman just absolutely carved it up. So, as I said, their depth is just amazing at the moment. They don't have really any injuries. So him coming back into form, of course, it's been like the Sane Gnabry show out wide for the beginning part of the season. But him coming back gives them another option. And, yeah, apart from that, pretty much standard stuff. I mean, you've got to just pinch yourself. I was pretty lucky to see Ronaldo score, I think, six goals in three games for Portugal a month or so ago. And, you know, you really do have to sort of pinch yourself and just realise that these guys are not going to be around forever. And, you know, when Lewandowski scores a hat-trick or Ronaldo scores a hat-trick, you just go, yeah, okay. It just becomes normal. But you just have to keep reminding yourself that it's it's not normal to score that many goals and just to be that ruthless and even missed a penalty. So it could have been more goals. So that's what I took out of it. And, of course, it's so nice to have full stadiums. You've got the ultras back. So the, the atmosphere in all the stadiums is pretty much back to where it was pre-COVID times. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to throw that in as well. It's it's actually really nice to to feel like it's uh, kind of back to normal now. But, uh, yeah, I guess Lewandowski scoring hat-tricks, that's normal too, Matt. <laughs> Yeah, for, for someone who is a, a little bit more than normal himself. I want to ask you a little bit about SC Freiburg, who, you know, as you've said, there's been a number of teams who have faced Bayern this season, and 
I don't want to say that they've rolled over because, you know, Bayern, you don't have to necessarily have a terrible day to still get crushed by Bayern. But they did make more of a game of this than a lot of clubs have this season. From what you have seen of Freiburg this season, it's obviously been a, a really good start that they're off to. They're still in the top four at the moment, uh, even after losing this game. What do you see as, as their future? moving forward. Is this a team that actually has a credible chance to stick around in, in the Champions League places with, with the Bundesliga being what it is this season? I don't know. I mean, they might be able to hang around fourth spot. I mean, this happened last season as well, but you know, when you have these seasons where teams tend to outperform, it's usually because other teams underperform as well. You saw that with Schalke finishing second a, a while ago. So, like, I hope they do. I think a whole lot of people hope they do. It'd be amazing to see Freiburg in the, in the Champions League. But, you know, obviously still finishing fifth or sixth would still be a great achievement for them. It's just a classic case of, of manager doing everything here. I mean, the, the squad is, is okay. You know, you've got some decent central defenders in Leinhardt. Schlotterbeck's coming along quite nicely. Of course, you've got Gunter, excellent, excellent left back. And then you've got Griefer, who can do a lot of damage. You know, Nils Peterson's pretty much on the outer now, but you've got guys like Lucas Hurler's doing pretty well. It's not a, you know, the squad is what it is with the budget that they have. So it's all about that classic case of, of Steik doing his magic and, you know, getting the team to work, to, to perform better than the, its parts, if, if I can say that. You see this all over the place. When teams like Freiburg are doing so well, it's all because they work really well as a team. They cover space. They work for each other. They're passionate. They never give up. And that's all because of, uh, of the manager here. So... As I said a couple of weeks ago, you just can't give him enough credit. He's he's phenomenal, and um, long may he stay in Freiburg because you know, they're great for the Bundesliga. You know they're in a really nice part of Germany there. They're miles away from everybody else. Really unique, and yeah, it's great that they're doing well and, and punching above their weight. Yeah, I was interested to read. You know, not living in Germany anymore, I don't get to see the uh, Aktuelle Sport Studio every weekend. But read some of uh, Christian Streich's quotes from his appearance on that TV show, talking about um, opportunities that may or may not have come his way over the last decade. He's been in charge at Freiburg. He said that he. he was very unlikely to take a job anywhere else, but he was also canny enough to say, you know, never say never. Like, I'm not going to say that it can't happen, but it's just, he said it's very hard for him to imagine taking a job away from Freiburg, which I think is as good of a, of a guarantee that he's going to stick around there for a really long time to come as you're going to get. Yeah. Well, of course, if he leaves, he knows that it could go, go south in a hurry for him. And it'd probably go south in a hurry for Freiburg too. So it's going to be a lose-lose or a good chance of lose-lose on both sides. He just spent too long there building this club up, you know. He just has such a, such a great relationship with all the players, especially the young players. And, yeah, he's a super, super smart guy. And, of course, he also just came out and basically uh, gave it to clubs like Newcastle and, and, and the Premier League and their uh, the way that certain clubs are selling their souls and getting bought out by foreign ownerships or countries that have dubious human rights records. So he says what he thinks. He doesn't uh, He doesn't hide from anyone. And uh, yeah, he's an impressive man. Yep. Yeah. I was also impressed to see uh, some of the Bayern ultras in this game against Freiburg hold up a very large banner 
taking their club to task for some of that uh, sport washing type stuff. Meyer, of course, having a, a quite a close relationship with Cutter and and various corporate entities there. You know, clearly not all of their supporters are on board with that effort. And the fact that they made that clear and that, you know, they were allowed to make that clear, I think was really good for the sort of open discourse in, in the Bundesliga. All right. Let's talk a little bit about the other big game on the weekend. Uh, that was between Leipzig and uh, Borussia Dortmund. You know, basically a team that's been up near the top all season and one whose stature means that they actually had better get up there soon if they don't want to create too many more negative headlines. You know, maybe it was lucky for for neutral viewers that, um, you know, Leipzig, the team back on their heels, was at home in front of a, a pretty big crowd, COVID capacity anyway, because they seemed really up for this one. Uh, I feel like aside from a from a stretch at the beginning of the second half, RB were really in the driver's seat for this game. They got the 2-1 win here. Christopher Nkunku, who has been, for my money, one of the best players in the Bundesliga this season, uh, scored the opener. Yusuf Paulson uh, scored what ended up being the winner in the 68th minute. Matthew, I want to I want to zoom in on something that Dortmund's goal scorer Marco Royce said after the game. He seemed pretty sour in the moment. He suggested, in fact, that Marco Rosa, his coach, had had got it wrong in the first half when he sent the team out playing in a, a three-five-two. You know, first, do you reckon he was right? And and second, do you think that you know there might be some uh, rough seas ahead, either either internally or simply results-wise for this team? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, he, he brought off Pongrakic and uh, brought on uh, Angskar Knauf. So that's, I guess that's a bit of a, an admission that uh, he got the tactics wrong in the first half. But I wasn't really surprised about this this result or this, this what happened in this game. I, I thought Leipzig would win. And um, yeah, I thought they, they they dominated most of the game. Of course, as you mentioned, Nkunku was just on absolute fire. I really rated him highly whenever I saw him at PSG and had a pretty high opinion of him. And he's just gone from strength to strength, of course, playing in a, a more attacking role now. And he was just unstoppable. You know, he scored the first and created the second. And uh, yeah, but just getting back to Dortmund, of course, you know, everything has to be considered with the fact that Erling Haaland is out. And of course, we know that he's just such a key player. He's just miles ahead as their, their most influential player. Of course, Bellingham, Roy is not far behind. But once he's out, you know, Marlon hasn't stepped up to the plate yet. So they're just going to continue struggling and they're just going to continue struggling against the, the good teams. You saw it happen twice against Ajax. Of course, you know, you had Hummels get sent off there in the first half, but you know, then they go to Leipzig and they lose. So this is generally what happens with these sorts of teams. They'll come out and crush, you know, Cologne, Ingolstadt, Armenia, Bielefeld. But at the end of the day, it means nothing because uh, they're pushing for a title and they're trying to go far in uh, Champions League. But on the evidence of what we've seen so far this season, that's just simply not going to happen. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, Matt, that, you know, it could be that this job's just a bit too high for Marco Rosa and he might get found out a bit it could be stuff like dealing with your high-profile players. Like, why didn't he bring uh, Holland off the bench uh, against Mainz? Why is Royce criticizing tactics? It could be a whole lot of different reasons, but it just seems to me that that could be a, a strong possibility that this job might just be a little bit too high. So that's just something to watch in the, in the coming coming months. Still got an excellent team, but um, yeah, they put themselves in a bit of trouble this week with a couple of pretty ordinary performances. I don't think, honestly, I don't think the red card would have made that much difference. I think they still would have lost against Ajax. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they how they perform until, I guess, Christmas will reassess then. 
Yeah, it's interesting that the conversation surrounding Dortmund's home loss to Ajax in the in the Champions League on Wednesday was so centered around that red card, which I, I of course I can understand in that um, you know anybody who watches the replay saw that there was not a lot of contact there. I mean. I guess the only argument you could make that it was justified was that, you know, Hummels was sort of out of control in his challenge. And, and you know, had he made more contact, it would have been a, a, a worse story for the player he was fouling. But I think you're right to say that that also turned out to be quite a lucky thing for uh, Marco Rosa, because the way that Dortmund were just beaten home and away by Ajax, I think should probably you know, raise some questions about how well he's managing this team. I know that there's lots of injury problems and all that right now. And I I think that's always going to be a tough thing to navigate, but you're right. There's, there's questions being asked. And I think that's, that's probably good. One really alarming thing that I, uh, I picked up in this game was that, you know, Anthony has just been destroying it. He, he was really influential in that game in Lisbon when Ajax won at five nil or something Obviously, he destroyed it against um, in, against Dortmund in Amsterdam. So it's not like, you know, Anthony is some huge surprise package here that Dortmund don't know about. Okay, so, okay, they get they get down to 10 men, no worries. And they, then they go ahead through a penalty. So they go into the break, a goal up, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you know, Marius Wolf was doing a pretty good job at left back. You know how much I love Marius Wolf, right? Anyway, he gets injured. They bring on Paslak. And then it just, it just, it just all went to shit because, you know, Anthony literally was standing there 30 meters between him and any other player. And this was happening right in front of Marco Rosa in the technical area. Like this is happening right in front of him. And there's absolutely no one anywhere near Anthony. He says, Anthony's just standing there with his hands in the air, calling for the ball. And of course, once you get halfway through the second half, you know, Ajax know this is on. They just keep hitting him, hitting him, hitting him, hitting him. And every single goal comes off his foot. So, okay, you're a man down. I get it. But you've got 20 minutes to go and you're holding a 1-0 lead. Wouldn't you maybe, you know, try and put someone a little, at least a little bit close to Anthony? Like, you know, at least 10 metres. At least, at least mark him. Try and mark him. Like, at least make an effort. So I thought that was just pathetic, really. A guy that good, a guy with that much capacity to hurt you. And you just leave him completely free. Falf going off was a big problem, but that was just huge. Alarm bells ringing for me there. I, I, just, I just didn't understand what was going on. But anyway... Just getting back to Leipzig, mate. Yeah, I mean, we, we spoke about them a couple of weeks ago. This is just going to take time, but there's no drama. They'll still be top four. Their attack is just, you know, so deadly. You've still got guys like Danny Olmo to come back. You know, Forsberg didn't even start this game. you got Sabotas live playing playing excellently. So, um, you know, once they get all of these defenders back, they're doing this without Halstenberg, without Klosterman. Willi Orban's out too. So, you know, they'll just keep improving this season. And um, I'm not too worried about them. I'm pretty confident they'll be top four for sure. Yeah, I, I feel the same. I think that whatever has been holding them back thus far is is starting to dissipate, I think. I think especially – and this was another thing that, uh, that Royce pointed out after the game, talking about we knew that Leipzig were going to come at us even harder under this new, you know, Jesse Marsh regime than they had in past years that, you know – their press is um, is very aggressive and it's beginning to work very well. So I, I I feel like I feel like some of the the trouble that they were in in the first I, mean, I don't know maybe five or six weeks of the season I think that's that's past them. Yeah, once you get if you can get Andre Silva scoring some goals, I mean this team in the second half of the season could be extremely devastating. Yeah, and that's interesting. 
if there was one thing that, that, that was a little frustrating watching this game was seeing Leipzig, and I have to say, principally Andre Silva, miss some really good chances. I think that this is a game that, that Dortmund were quite lucky to be only 2-1 losers in. All right, let's, let's talk about, I guess, the third of our, uh, you know, big match day matches, or at least in my opinion, which is the one that you were at on Sunday. The game between two sides who I think have outstripped most pundits' expectations thus far. That's Cologne and uh, Union Berlin. I thought this was going to be a good game. I mentioned it last uh, week on the podcast. It was. And, uh, you know, you were there to see it. How, how did you How did you like it? How did you take it in? Yeah, it was the opening 10 minutes was great. You know, Modest opened the scoring, and then before you knew it, it was 1-1 after nine minutes. Uh, the, the rest of the first half was really pretty boring. But then, yeah, about five minutes before the end of the first half, it really, really came to life. Um, Curl actually looked like they were going to go ahead again, but uh, they tried to <laughs> they tried to play the ball out from the back, and it was just a complete disaster. And, uh, yeah, Grisha Prilma scored. And I was so sure that uh, this was going to be a – going to be a draw and Curl would come back and uh, as it happened yeah it was a simple corner for Kainz to, to Modest and he headed in in uh, in front of the Sud curve so that was uh, that was excellent but um, yeah Modest just going from strength to strength we spoke about him a couple of weeks ago as well he's on fire at the moment like I think it's six goals in four games came off the bench to score both goals as they beat Stuttgart in the in the DFB Pokal so he's on fire all you got to do is just just get the ball to him in the air. He's super strong. You know, he, he's physically super strong, so he can hold players off. He's not afraid to shoot. So yeah, he's really dominating this team at the moment. And um, yeah, they're, they're still not a great team. That their defense is really, really dodgy, especially central defense. Like Timo Huber's, you know, whenever I see this guy's name, it just scrambles my brain. Chichos, Chichos. But yeah, both both of those guys not really giving me a whole lot of confidence. I know they got some other players that could move into that position, but yeah, central defence is, is a real problem position, I would say, for Köln. But yeah, they they've got a lot of heart, a lot of fight. I mentioned in my report that this is the fourth home game that they've they've trailed and then fought back to to pick up points. So that really shows you a lot about what what Köln are all about, especially at home. And um, yeah, Union they were they were okay. It's good to see Awanini Awanini for the first time. I can see actually why other clubs wouldn't have gone for him. He, he sort of he looks a bit uncoordinated the way he runs. Like he's he physically doesn't look like a great footballer, but he does a lot of great footballer stuff, Matt. I mean, he, his runs are fantastic. He's really super strong. There was one situation where he, he was back to back with uh, with Hubers and just turned him like he wasn't there and fired over the bar. So yeah, he's got he's got a lot of skill. It was really good to see him for the first time uh, live for me. But there's a few teams doing what Union are doing, really, playing that three at the back and a couple of fast guys up front. It's not rocket science what they're doing, but it's it's quite effective. And, uh, you know, they're going to pick up a, f- a fair few points doing that. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a good game in the end. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Nice, nice. It's interesting you mentioned that Union are having so much success doing something that's fairly simple, fairly, um, you know, I don't want to say rudimentary. That might come across as a bit pejorative, but... Maybe I could. And interestingly, they could have gone fourth had they won this game. Instead, they are now eighth, having drawn this game, which I think is just a really good indication of of how tight this league is right now. I mean, looking at at things in, in in a sort of super wide view, like I feel like the last maybe two or three seasons in the Bundesliga, you had a legit class of uh, four, five, six very good teams. 
and they sort of pulled away from the rest of the pack. And I just don't see that happening this season. I, I think that we're going to have a very robust, you know, sort of soup of, of mid table teams changing places week after week. It feels like a different, different situation this year. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really good. I think there's, uh, I think I, I calculated it after the pod last a couple of weeks ago, and I think there's probably nine teams that would be expecting or hoping to finish in top six. So, yeah, there's going to be three teams or so that, that miss out there. Like you're talking about Eintracht, you're talking about your Hoffenheims, your Gladbach, Union maybe, of course Leverkusen, Leipzig, Wolfsburg, Dortmund, and Freiburg are in the mix. So there's a lot of teams there with the potential to finish, you know, in fourth, fifth, sixth. So interesting to see who that is. I just wanted to mention also, Matt, about Union. Obviously, it's spectacular what they've done with their budget. You know, uh, Urs Fischer has done such a fantastic job there. But it shouldn't be forgotten that a lot of Bundesliga teams that are, you know, that that mid to lower half table that have a great season and do uh, get themselves into Europe, especially the uh, the Thursday night style Europe. We've seen a lot of these teams really struggle the the next year. If you remember Freiburg, they got a, they finished fifth. Mm-hmm. Two seasons later, relegated. If you remember Köln a little while ago, 2016-17, they finished fifth. They finished last the season after that. Even Mainz, when they finished sixth, uh, 2015-16, they've spent five seasons since then in the bottom half. So you do tend to find a lot of teams struggle after you know reaching those those Europa League group stage. So for them to keep it together is a, another really great achievement for them. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, on a rather sillier note about the Cologne Carnival tricots, which they wore today. I was very impressed during the middle of the week when they had their little release video showing these uh, tricots because it was a funny video where they had a bunch of children, you know, kids maybe about seven years old portraying all the the players and, and Stefan Baumgart complete with a, a miniature flat cap for the the kid etc but I was really upset when I saw Cologne playing in the in the uh, these jerseys because they were missing the best part the little miniature bow tie on the collar of the shirt which <laughs> the DFL for some reason decided was against their regulations that you know maybe 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 someone would get their finger caught in it or something mm-hmm. like that that's ridiculous it's a miniature bow tie it's too <laughs> small for that just let them play with it yeah well the germans love their rules and their regulations mate so uh yeah sometimes it's a bit annoying it's true it's true and, you know at least we did get some some sort of uh i don't know uh Cologne showmanship in this game. I mean, you mentioned them coming back from from deficits many times this season. I think Cologne is the team that loves to sort of live off of the emotion of the home crowd. And Anthony Modeste, this is a guy who clearly revels in it. I mean, he 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 loves his little you know finger spectacle celebration. He went over to uh, Stefan Baumgart and took off of off his flat cap and put it on and did a little shoulder shimmy when he scored the equalizer. There's something kind of fun about this club yeah it's a great club you know every every home game is is full it's it's difficult to get tickets there it's just slightly bizarre that you know in one of the biggest cities in german and with such a massive support and with the finances they should be able to to garner from that they're just they're this kind of average team that's you know kind of battling relegation i mentioned it obviously they've found the uh qualified for europa league a few years ago but yeah, they're just, you know, obviously with, I mentioned their central defense and they, they had to sell uh, Bornau to uh, to Wolfsburg. So that sort of tells you what's going on. I mean, you know, they, they sort of need him or they needed him in a way. 
still doing okay without him. But you know, what I'm saying is that you know their, their whole financial structure means that once they get a player who, who shows some potential, he's he's going to be off uh, before too long. Obviously, Modest is, is 33; he's not going to be sold anytime soon. But yeah, just sort of a little bit strange. That, but I guess it's not that strange when you look at Hertha Berlin. You know, uh, the fact that you know the the, the big population cities in Germany don't really tend to produce successful football teams. Yep, yep. Or look at look at Hamburg down in the uh, in the second division. Yeah. All right, we will be back in just a moment. Uh, we'll be talking about Hertha in just a moment. So uh, don't go away. Right, here comes part two of Talking Foosball Direct. We're going to talk about the rest of Match Day 11, and we're going to start with Hertha. You know, if, if Union gave up that late, late goal to settle for a draw in their game, uh, Hertha did the same earlier on Sunday. Steven Jovetic had made it 1-0 late in the first half for Hertha with a, a delicious turn and half volley against the run of play. And then a surprisingly controlled performance from Hertha throughout most of the second half. Looked like it would probably be enough to get three points over the line on a pretty, pretty dreary, rainy afternoon in Berlin. But uh, no, no. Uh, deep into injury time, Robert Andrich, who was actually a Hertha youth player and uh, more recently uh, an Union midfielder. He popped up to knock home a loose ball in the box into the back of the net. Yeah, you 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 got a chance to see Leverkusen earlier this week, and and they were in scintillating form against Real Betis. <laughs> there was not a lot of scintillating going on on either side of the ball in this game, although maybe the weather precluded that. Were you surprised to see them? need a last gasp goal to, to steal a point from Hertha? No, I thought they were struggling in this game because Florian Wirtz wasn't there. I think it's that simple. Mm-hmm. He's just he's just taken over this team. He's he's absolutely key. Obviously Diaby got all the uh, most of the plaudits against uh, Real Betis with two goals and two assists, but Florian Wirtz was basically just as effective. He's running the show, you know, as a in the ten position as an eighteen year old for a team as big as Leverkusen who are you know, fighting for top four, they're in the Europa League. So it's incredible, but it's also a bit alarming when he's not there. And of course, you know, we sat together, Matt, and watched uh, Leverkusen against Juventus there, and you saw just how influential Charles Adangiz is. So when he's not in, in central midfield, you're losing out there as well. So, And of course, Patrick Schick, <clears throat> he's been sensational this season also. So you could basically say, you know, most important midfielder gone, attacking midfielder not there, Schick injured. So... Yeah, I'm not too surprised that they uh, they struggled. I was I wasn't even surprised that they I had the highlights on. Well, it's not the highlights. I had the game on in in, in Köln in the last five minutes, and I just had a feeling they were going to equalise. Yeah, and he's done that as well. He did it in the uh, in the Europa League with a last minute goal. So yeah, he's popping up. He's a he's an interesting player. Pretty useful guy to to have in your team. I just want to digress real quickly, Matt, and say that sometimes you need some angry men in your team. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, no, it's, it's not bad to have an angry man. You could say, you know, Robert Anderdish, he's, he's, he's bordering on angry man. But I found a new angry man to take over. I actually haven't had an angry man for a while, but it used to be Alexander Eschwein. I don't know if you remember him. Matt. Oh, for sure. He's yeah. a super angry man. But the new angry man in town, I know he's not a Bundesliga player, but it's got to be uh, Nabil Fekir. We're just going to give a little bit of a shout out to Nabil Fekir, 
who um, just completely lost his mind there at the uh, in 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 the end of that game against uh, Leverkusen. Just you know, grabbed um, Demi by, by by the throat. He wanted to fight um, Leverkusen coaches. He wanted to fight the UEFA. I think the the the, the fourth referee. Yeah, just in, incredible. So that was just a little side note. I just wanted to to get into the, the angry man situation. Well, but also, to be fair, Karim Demirbay seemed still a little bit angry in this angry game man, against Hertha. He I wanted think, to get into it with Suat Serdar. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's bordering on angry man. Maybe it was just that incident with uh, Fekir has just brought out the angry man in him. But also what you, you need in football, man, is a pest. And uh, I used to I used to give Guido Burgstaller the, the pest moniker because, I mean, he's just the absolute pest um, with without the ball. But um, the new pest, man, you're going to love this. It's got to be Santiago Ascaciba. He's my new pest. You know, just just nonstop pestering people and just being annoying. So I just wanted to, to just get that out there. We've got a new angry man and we've got a new pest. But apart from that, yeah, I wasn't too surprised to see with Leverkusen struggling and not too surprised that Hertha are sort of hard to watch. Feeling sorry for you, Matt. I, I, I saw them against Hoffenheim the week before and I was pretty disappointed, especially what they did in the first half. So I guess, you know, Putting Jovetic in the side isn't a bad thing because he's probably going to get injured soon. So you might as well get the most out of him before he goes down again. Hopefully, hopefully he doesn't. But you know, history tells you that something might happen there. But yeah, I don't have too much to report on this match, Matt. And Leverkusen, as I said, they need all those guys back because their squad depth is uh, is getting found out a bit. Yep, yep. And I appreciate your sympathy. <laughs> yeah, Dardai Ball, in as much as it is a successful formula, is pretty much about making things ugly in midfield and then hoping that your uh, highly skilled uh, attacking players will will do something special at some, one or two junctures in the game. And uh, maybe he's found that guy in uh, Stevan Jovetic. He had, you know, Ibišević and Kalu and a couple of others at various other junctures in his, his tenure. It was a little surprising to see him start this game alone up front, especially in that, um, you know, Davy Zelka and, and Shishtof Piontek have been uh, getting the nod much more often lately, but you know, with what Jovetic showed us today, maybe maybe that's the the way of the future. Yeah, he's got a lot of skill for sure. You know, he's, he's skill wise, he'd be heads and above that Hertha's best player, I would say. Yeah, oh yeah. And I oh, think yeah. you know, maybe Marco Rüster has has a, a ceiling he's yet to get to. Uh, but he, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, this squad doesn't really fill me with a whole lot of whole lot of excitement. Yeah. Apart from those two guys, I'm surprised that Tussaud is is coming off the bench. To be honest, I'd have him ahead of the pest. That's for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, in that he likes to occasionally pass the ball forward. That mm. gives him, in my book, something to recommend because Aska Seabar <laughs> is not interested in that. Yeah, yeah. So maybe, yeah, keep an eye on that and see. Uh, maybe, maybe Tussaud gets a run soon. But uh, yeah, we'll have to see what happens with them. Okay, so actually Sunday turned out to be a day of late goals. Uh, Fürth and Eintracht's game was actually particularly punctuated by them. Heading into injury time, Frankfurt was uh, was hanging on to a slim 1-0 lead, thanks to uh, Sebastian Roda. But both of the teams ended up uh, notching another goal in injury time. In truth, it very easily could have ended 2-1 the other way in in. in Fiat's favor, which is not how it ended, or ended 2-2. Such was the level of goal mouth action in time added on. You know, I, I know that in past years, and probably uh, to a lesser extent earlier this season, you you generally like to pay a, a good deal of attention to Frankfurt. And you we all know that they've been flying in, in the Europa League. But 
they're dragging ass in the Bundesliga. What, what's going on? Yeah, they're just struggling. I think uh, Glasner is taking some time there to figure things out. It's interesting. I guess we'll talk about Wolfsburg, but some managers can kind of figure things out and get close to their their you know their optimal formation and starting eleven pretty quickly. Some managers takes a lot longer, and it looks like that's what's happening here. Yeah, I mean, obviously Greuther Fürth are the, are the worst team in the Bundesliga. It'll be a miracle if they survive. Their defense is just all over the place. Obviously, I didn't watch this game. I was, I was heading back, but it looks like expected goals was t- almost twice as much for Greuther Fürth. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not really that surprised. Eintracht struggled in this game. I did mention a couple of weeks ago when I saw that game against uh, Olympiakos that you probably see a lot of improvement from Eintracht when uh, Sebastian Aroda is fit and starting again. Not just what he does on the pitch, but also his experience. Of course, he's the captain. So there's a lot of benefit to having him in the team for a lot of different reasons. So that's something to look out for. Obviously, he uh, he came off the bench here when he scored the go-ahead goal. Um, that's something to look out for. But yeah, I, don't, I can't see Glasner really doing much to move away from this back three formation, this wing-back thing. You know, so he's just got to find the right pieces uh, to put in position here. Obviously, he brought in Lindstrom here. But, yeah, he's just got to try and figure it out. The games are coming thick and fast. I guess the the break will come uh, come uh, a good time for them. But, I mean, it's not that bad for them. I mean, they've only lost. I mean, they lost their first Bundesliga game of the season at Dortmund. But since then, they've only lost against that game against Hertha. Um, and, of course, the game at Bochum, 2-0. So they've only lost three times. Of course, they, they had those six draws in a row. So it's not all bad for them. But, yeah, you'd expect a little bit more, I would say, with the squad that they have especially against teams like Goethe Food, Bochum, at home against Hertha. But, yeah, I'm assuming we'll see some improvement for them. Goethe Food, I really got nothing. I haven't seen them. I'd be surprised if they stay up, man. Yeah, yeah, especially in that they are having so much trouble just scoring goals, just, you know, making the most of, of what they get. You mentioned that they actually created quite a few chances in this game, more than, than than Frankfurt did, according to the XG models, but nothing doing for most of the game. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Eintracht, I don't have too much worry about either, that they're certainly not necessarily going to get stuck in the the uh, the relegation conversation, but they are underperforming. I, I think that's also true of Hoffenheim, who, who expect to be a lot higher up the, the table than where they are, and they actually lost this weekend, and, and this was another game with a lot of wild late game action. Bochum's Milos Pantovic scored from his own half five minutes into injury time to give his team a 2-0 lead. That bit of weirdness came after uh, 15 minutes after another bit of weirdness when uh, Bochum's goalkeeper, Manuel Reimann, stepped up to take a penalty kick and missed it <laughs> by a lot. Yeah, so th- this was a this was a strange one. But it was definitely three points that did a lot for Bochum. They're now up to 12th. They're level with Hertha on 13 points. That's uh, a good good four points off of the uh, the relegation playoff spot. I think they probably have to be feeling really good about where they are right now. Yeah, I mentioned uh, in the pod two weeks ago, Matt, I expect them to stay up primarily because I think they'll pick up enough points at home to do that. I, I saw them the week after that in Mönchengladbach when they lost 2-1. They were 2-0 down, looked like a game over, but then they they scored late and uh, actually had a great chance to equalize late on. So, uh, yeah, I'm not surprised that they, uh, they they picked up their form, and especially at home. As I say, I think they'll, they'll just keep picking up points at home. Yeah, bizarre that stuff with Riemann, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> he obviously scored that penalty in the in the in the park aisle to send them through so he's uh he's feeling like uh, maradona from the penalty spot at the moment but maybe he'll uh 
the fall back to earth here. Yeah, as you said, he missed it by a country mile. Yeah, I mean to be to be fair with Riemann, you know, you don't want to you don't want to risk a rebound uh, when you when you're a, <laughs> a goalkeeper taking a penalty kick. So if you're gonna miss, miss big. Yeah, I was thinking like if he's the the main penalty taker, who's Who's saving them when he's taking them in training? Obviously, the, the reserve goalkeeper. You know, you've got guys like Eduard Leuven, Rex Bakai. So you've got, you know, Bundesliga experience in the midfield there. You know, they've done some pretty good recruitment when you consider, I guess, Greuther Uh With Hoffenheim, I, I guess what I noticed in that game against uh, Hertha a couple of weeks ago is that he's brought Grilich into, uh, into the midfield, uh, sorry, into the back three there, which has a lot of benefit. We'll talk about Wolfsburg with... Uh, they're doing the same thing. But, um, yeah, this squad's looking okay. I'm not sure if Akba Guma's really a wing-back, if that's going to be his best position. You've got Stiller trying in midfield. But, yeah, he's still sort of searching for some cons- consistency here is uh, Sebastian Hernes. As I said, they're one of a, a number of clubs hoping to get into that Europa League spot. And, yeah, let's see if they can do it. Yeah, yeah. It will be interesting. I've, I've, I think their chances maybe aren't so great considering the number of teams, as you mentioned earlier, who are basically playing for that same goal. Well, let's go ahead and talk about Wolfsburg and, and talk about Augsburg, perhaps. Uh, they played this weekend. It was a 1-0 win for Wolfsburg. Lukas Smetja continuing to impress uh, now that, that uh, we got Florian Kofeld in charge. He scored the game's only goal just days after getting called up for the senior national team for Germany the first time. FC Augsburg did try their best to make a game of it in the second half, and we're actually the much more active side. But the one time that he got one past Cohen Castile's, uh, Andre Hahn's effort was called back for offside. Okay, so we, we saw a win last weekend for FCA. Uh, against Stuttgart. This was a pretty credible performance against uh, Wolfsburg, if not a win. Is it possible that Marcus Weinstiel's side could haul themselves out of danger and sort of get into that mid-table mix? Or are they going to be in that class of teams that is biting their fingernails for some time yet? No, I don't see them getting out of there in a hurry. I think they'll be they'll be in the in the relegation or relegation playoff conversation for the rest of the season. Yeah, I saw them at Mainz when they lost four one and they were hopeless. You know, they lost to Bochum in the in the Pokal and then as you said they, they put in a good performance beating Stuttgart four one. Of course, once Finn Bogerson comes back into the team, which he has, that gives them a huge boost. You've also got uh Niederlechner who is uh, who's fit again and Zakiri started this game, so yeah, considering from the time I saw them, there's some big changes with uh, with Finn Bogerson, Sakiri starting, and Niederlechner back fit too. I mentioned Dorsch also. He came off the bench here, and I also mentioned that if he he could strike up a partnership with Arne Meyer, their teammates from Germany under 21s, there's there's maybe hope they could be a bit more solid defensively. So there is some upside, I guess, to that team, but not a whole lot, I wouldn't think. As we mentioned with guys like Jovetic, it's just probably a matter of time before Finn Bogerson. And unfortunately, picks up an injury. God knows what's happening with Gregorich. I mean, I, I haven't followed that. Uh, I think it's like a soap opera story, is it? There was some drama with him. I don't know what's going on there. But yeah, there's not a whole lot to get excited about with Augsburg. With, with Wolfsburg, actually, was at that game, which was um, Florian Kofeld's first game in charge when they beat um, uh, Leverkusen 2 0. And yeah, what you've seen straight away is that he's going with that back three. And as we saw with um, with Grilich at Hoffenheim, uh, Guilavogi has done the same thing. He's dropped back from holding midfield into midfield three. And, um, you know, he, he brings the ball out really well. Obviously, he can step up and, and move out of that position when they need to. 
but that's been the, the big change there. And the other one would have to be Gerhardt. Yannick Gerhardt is, is being played in a pretty prominent position. And Otavio also, I had a good feeling he was going to start this game in, in, in too well against Augsburg. So I, I think I understalled their midfield a bit. I, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, when we were talking about sacking Van... Yeah, you were talking about Zabeschlager being out and that being a real, real blow. Yeah, it is. But you've still got, um, of course, Maxi Arnold. Gerhardt can move into that position. And also the young Belgian, Aster... How do you pronounce his last name? Vranks? Vranks? Vranks, yeah. He's got a so. bit of a confusing surname. But either way, yeah, he, he started a few games. He's, he's um, got a bit of an injury problem at the moment. But And, of course, Baku, he uh, started as a central midfielder. So, yeah, they do have a lot of options there. So I just wanted to correct that. I did I did undersell their central midfield a bit. But, you know, I stick by what I said, to, uh, which was that they, they've got a really formidable squad. They've done really well. I mentioned Mecher, and, uh, you know, I saw him lead Germany to victory against Portugal in the other 21 uh, Euros. He was influential for them all throughout qualification. And it was no surprise that if Hansi Flick only had one guy to call up between him and uh, the guy at Mainz, I can't think of his name for some reason. Yeah, Jonathan Burkhardt. Yeah, yeah. it was obviously going to be uh, Nemecha because he was ahead of Burkhardt in the under-21 side. And, you know, he's, uh, his form's just as good, if not better. So, yeah, it was obvious that he was going to be ahead of... Um, uh, Borkart there, so yeah, he's he's gone from strength to strength, and of course, it just means that if if uh, Valt Veghorst is out, then they've got a a really great replacement that they can throw up there. Obviously, they're fairly reliant on Veghorst for well a couple of years now, really, but yeah, Nemetch has really shown that he can fill that hole, and of course, you know, he can play alongside Veghorst, which is what they did here. So there's a lot to like about Wolfsburg. They've got a really solid team, and of course, with that new manager bounce, uh, you know, it's going to be pretty positive stuff from them, I would imagine, moving up until uh, the New Year break. Yep, they should maybe be a team to watch now that they have uh, someone a little bit more credible in charge. Let's talk a little bit about Stuttgart and Bielefeld. Bielefeld were 1-0 winners in Stuttgart, which um, I think for for those of us not paying a lot of attention might have been a surprising result, but um, in that things have been really going south for Stuttgart for a, a few weeks now, maybe not. So I, I really think that they're in, in some trouble now. You know, this was a pretty crappy <laughs> way to lose as well. They lost to, to a very simple sort of diagonal ball into Masaya Okugawa over the top, uh, scoring in the 19th minute against them. Didn't do a whole lot to get back into this game. Where do you see them at the moment? Well, luckily, I don't see them very often because it doesn't look like it's going to be very exciting. But yeah, I guess we have to say here they had some some big problems in central defence with Kempf, Mavropanos both out. So you had here a back three of uh, Voldemar Anton, Hiroki Ito, and who's the other guy? Mola, Clinton Mola. So not a very convincing back three, you might say. And really, yeah, you look up front and there's just there's just hardly anything to get excited about. Really, I wouldn't think with this team. So I didn't watch a whole lot of football last year, Matt, with uh, obviously lockdowns and. I, I couldn't even get into it uh, on a television with the guys you know, empty stadiums and fake crowd noise and stuff like that. But I'm guessing uh, Silas, uh, he's, we can't call him, he's changed his name now, Silas Katompa Mvumpa. Mvumpa, yeah. yeah. And it seems to me that he was driving a lot of their uh, a lot of their success last uh, last season. Obviously, Sasa Kaladjic. I'm a terrible with these names. I, don't, I never say these names. That's why when I come on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, Sasha Kaladjic. <laughs> yeah, you say it for me. I just never have to say these names, so that's why it's difficult sometimes. And I never really hear the names either. But anyway, 
there are a couple of guys, I guess, that would help them. But, yeah, it's not looking great for Matarazzo at the moment. Um, I feel pretty sorry for the Stuttgart supporters at the moment. But as I said, with all those defensive guys out, maybe not a huge surprise they uh, they lost this game. But certainly um, they, uh, their form is, is not great for Stuttgart. And uh, they're down there. And uh, they might stay down there for a, a fair while longer. Yep, yep, definitely a, a story to keep an eye on. They're they're only one point above Augsburg uh, in in fifteenth place at the moment. One last game to talk about: that's Mainz and Gladbach. They played to a one-one draw on Friday night. I did not see this one. I saw the highlights only. Uh, the thing that stuck out for me was that pretty pretty sweet uh, textbook curler from uh, Sylvain Widmer to put Mainz level. 15 minutes from time. Any thoughts? And this was a pretty evenly matched game in terms of where these two teams were coming into the game from. And any thoughts about where these two teams are at right now? No, as I said, Mainz, uh, you know, similar to Union and what they're doing and a couple of other teams with that formation and a couple of fast guys up front. So not a huge amount to talk about or to to add to what I did two weeks ago. Obviously, yeah, Widmer, his goal was great. Aaron Martin back in the side now. He's obviously taking a lot of those set pieces. So they got some pretty useful wingbacks. And, of course, Burkhardt going from strength to strength. And Isuo, you know, super quick, super smart, can get into some really good positions. With Mönchengladbach, I saw that game, as I mentioned, uh, they beat Bochum 2-1. And I also mentioned a couple of weeks ago what's going on with Player. And it was great to see Player get that start against Bochum. He was man of the match. He was outstanding. And uh, he started again here at the expense of uh, Lars Stindl, which I guess was uh, going to happen sooner or later. But, um, yeah, Adi Hutter's trying to find some consistency. Don't know what's happening with uh, Embolo. He picked up an injury here. He didn't look too well, – how he was pretty distraught, you might say. So he's obviously had enough problems with uh, with injuries. Hopefully he's not out for too long. But, he, you know, Hutter, I think, really likes what he's been bringing to the table. So – they should be doing better considering they're not in Europe and they've got plenty of time to prepare for these games. So I guess what he'll do now is bring Stindl back or maybe give Turan some more uh, game time. Obviously, Neuhaus came off the bench here to replace uh, Nico Elvedi. And, uh, you know, he was fantastic last season. So this hasn't found a spot because obviously Kone's come in to, to midfield next to Zacharia. So there's not really a place in Neuhaus at the moment. Um, so there's a few little things to look for. Um, yeah, Jan Sommer was uh, really good in, in this game once again. So, yeah, not a whole lot to add for those teams, I guess, from what I said two weeks ago. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. That's, it's, it's the last one. We don't, we don't have to go deep on it. <laughs> That's it for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced, as always, by Aidan Rantoul. Good to have you on again, Matthew. Thanks for having me, mate. It's been uh, lots of fun again. Nice. Very nice. And you're just, you're just having all kinds of fun this week, man. You can follow Matt, of course, on Twitter, at NoobsCorp. If you want to contact me, I'm Mr. Matt Herman over there. We'll be taking a little bit of a break during the international uh, break here. The uh, the Talking Foosball team will be recharging our batteries for the better part of 10 days. We will, however, be back before match day 12 with an all-new Talking Foosball fantasy with JT and Flo. They are definitely going to make sure that you know what to do with all your unlimited transfers. This is some next to all, y'all. 